Hello, I'm Andre Longlane, and our guest this week on the Ham and High podcast is Rabbi David Mason of Muswell Hill Synagogue. As for all of us, it's been a challenging year for David, helping the community through the pandemic, and we spoke just days after a second national lockdown was announced. We also spoke a week after the release of the Equality and Human Rights Commission's report into anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, of which David is a member. So, Rabbi David Mason, thank you very much for joining us on the Ham and High podcast. Great to be here. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. And uh, obviously here is on Zoom because that's where everything happens these days. Um, and for the listener, we're recording two days after um, the Prime Minister um, announced the next national lockdown. Um, how are you feeling about that? Yeah, I think there's a sort of mixed feeling in a way um, of it. On the one hand, we've got to, um, you know, as a community, pull in and support any movement towards a better health or to bring the R number down. Um, and I think we're, you know, we're ready to do that in a way. But we have worked really hard over the last few months to create a safe space for our prayer uh, with ventilation, with spacing, with masks. We're part of the United Synagogue, who have done really great work on giving communities um, across London uh, um, on how to act safely within this time. The chief rabbi has been great in, in motivating us that way. And so we're really proud that people have come to our synagogue, felt safe. And so you're sad in a way um, to lose that. But in some ways, we know that when that subsides again to the ability to go to synagogue, we're there ready to be able to go back. That's great. So the, the new rules are, they're once again closing apart from uh, uh, individual prayer. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and that's important for a number of communities. I think in the Jewish community, communal prayer is really quite central. So uh, in a sense, you, often in Jewish communities, they do less individual prayer. Coming to synagogue, certainly um, <clears throat> within the Orthodox tradition, which is my community, but across, it's about public presence in the community. So in some ways, we'll probably less partaken of that uh, um, and miss the fact that we can't communally gather together. But of course, understanding that for other communities where for some individual prayer is relevant and is a way of praying that's it's good that that will be allowed did you go online during the last lockdown with the zoom services and things happening yeah so we i was very quick to get online um for me it was like look i've got a community we do stuff i want to take that stuff online so we have a services on sunday monday thursday morning and i will immediately again this thursday be back online so that people will have a zoom link and we'll pray together and it'll be different than being public in a place, but you're still creating space through Zoom. We have every Sunday night, we have a talk or a fun evening for members. We have a welfare group. We have a group called Top of the Hill for more senior members of the community, um, which every Wednesday has speakers. So we, we've created a lot already in the first lockdown, which we could just carry on with now. So that's really good. That's probably going to be one of the differences, isn't it? We, we now know how this works and in a way we're prepared for it, which is good. Yeah. I don't want to ask you to speak um, for um, the, the community, for your community, but is there a sense you get about how people feel about this? Are they ready for it? Are they accepting? Yeah, no, I think people are, people are, certainly will accept it and will 
in a sense, abide by it and be, you know, good about understanding what they've got to do. I think people will, the sadness is about, I think, for a community like mine, is about not being able to see people socialise, be together. And that's been a long time. And the sadness will probably extend to not be able to be together with family. Um, so in December, we had, there's a Jewish festival called Chanukah, the Festival of Light. And it's mm -hmm. after the second of December, but I think many of us worry that this lockdown will go on past the second. And so that is in jeopardy in a way. Now, you know, we've had other communities also that will have issues. Diwali is within this period. So it's where we are. So I think people will worry that they can't be together, see family, see parents as much. Uh, um, they'll cope with not being in the synagogue, but they'll look forward to regaining contact with it. I think it's interesting, isn't it, that the obviously Christmas is um, a Christian festival and, and for other uh, communities as such, but the, the government's determination to make that some kind of focal point means that they're at least in some way aware of the importance of these festivals and families getting together. Um, I just find it interesting that given the, the science and the weight of the numbers and the economy, that that's still so central in its mind. It's the fact that we all know that those times of the year when we can be together in a special way are so important to us. Well, that's right, actually. And there are some festivals that are, you know, public gathering type festivals. So we were lucky. We, we can feel blessed as a Jewish community that the Jewish New Year and the Day of Atonement were not in periods of lockdown they were you know in september um and they are festivals where people crowd into synagogue now we had to put a massive amount of effort into putting on multiple services it was massive i mean it really was but it went very well we were really lucky whereas the passover festival which was in april early in the lockdown people loved being together for the pace passover meal so yeah people would go to synagogue but there's a massive thing about the home and that was hard because people were separate on, you know, because of lockdown. Uh, um, people were alone. Some families were alone. Some older people were alone. It was really hard. And people tried to find ways through Zoom to connect. Uh, um, but that wasn't easy. So, you know, yes, I think there's a recognition both of the family units wanting to be together. Christmas is a very big time where people gather together across Britain. Um, but also times when people want to feel an outlet in a place of worship, and that's, that will be missing. You mentioned the, uh, the isolation there. I suppose um, for lots of community groups and, and um, probably for the synagogue, there'll be a bit of snapping back into place to be aware of people who may be isolated and need help and um, all those mutual aid groups that, that grew up in March and April. Um, have still kept operating to a certain degree, but there, there might well be an increase in that once again. Is, are you looking at changing what services or what um, outreach there is at the moment? Yeah, so we did a lot. When, we, when the first lockdown happened, we, had, we, went, we set up a number of WhatsApp groups of volunteers. Uh, we had a, a new care line that was used regularly, which we were really pleased that people rang in. And we had a really good system of people monitoring the line, then dispensing the help. So that can just as you said, snap back into place. One of my most favorite things actually was the fact that we set up a volunteer group to help people with tech, basically to get people who are older onto Zoom. And it was a way they would feel. And I loved seeing, you know, 80 somethings and 90 somethings come onto our weekly or whatever, twice weekly events. 
because they just felt that bit more connected. They could see the faces of other people. And so we'll continue that. A lot of that work's done. People will know that older people are, oh, right. And they've already been carrying on. People who are older have generally been more careful and probably less been coming to synagogue anyway. Uh, um, and so that is in place. I'm really proud of that. It's a great community for, you know, sort of looking after itself. That's amazing. And we're, we're in a position where it doesn't have to be that complicated, does it, to get on video chat? It's just helping people over that hurdle of not of not knowing where to start or the unknown. I remember when my nan was still alive, both me and my dad at various points made efforts to get her on email because it would mean she could be in touch with uh, with other people around the world, which I we never quite achieved. But um, I think these days, because you can just turn on the computer, click on the Zoom thing and be right there. Um, it's great. Well, I, yeah, yeah, no, it's well. I think our, um, as you know, a famous comedian has said recently. You know, usually whenever you have a meeting with someone, it usually starts with the world's words. I can't hear you. Could you unmute yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or where are you at the moment? What's that where behind? Are you? I can't see. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a guitar behind you? That kind of thing. Um, the I, I know you're a you are you a Labour Party member? Is that correct? Yes, I am. Yes, um, yes, I am. <laughs> For my single time, Labour Party member. <laughs> well, well, let's come on to the Labour Party um, in a minute. Let's let's um, have a quick chat about the government and the approach. I mean, you said before the important things to try and get the numbers down, but what's your feeling about how this has been approached in the last month or so? Yeah, I think a lot of people are worried about um, the clarity of approach. Uh, you know, it's almost like, you know, Recently, I've seen criticisms of football teams in the Premier League that they're changing their, their, you know, their layout and approach regularly and therefore not get results. And I think there's some sort of way of thinking about it there, that there are different levels of tiers and levels of level, you know, it, it, and therefore it's not clear. I think it is hard. We, we have to admit it is hard. Um, and I think the most difficult thing to have got heads around in the government is, I suppose, the need to move quickly. And when you're in a democracy, when you have a ruling party, any party would be the same, to be honest, which has itself different level uh, wings within it, different approaches within it. So within the governing party, the Conservative Party, you've got a, a, a more libertarian element of the party and a less libertarian element. And within a democracy, that has to work itself out. In a less democratic country, you just stamp, stamp down on it and, and it's fine. It's difficult. <laughs> There's an element where they could have acted quicker to get on top of it. Uh, I think that's certainly the case, and that that's an argument that's going to roll for well for the foreseeable future, isn't it? I think also the uh, you you say there's a, there is a more libertarian wing to the the Tory party, but I think even uh, Boris Johnson himself and Dominic Cummings, their their instinct is in that direction, isn't it? Their instinct is to keep the markets open because that's the thing that will keep the country healthy. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, actually, you don't know with Boris. I mean, like, you know, you don't know with Boris because his instinct was actually to end austerity and put that as a previous approach. Now he had the ability to do that. The economy was starting to pick up. I don't think he ever would have dreamed that he'd be ending up in a situation with such a disastrous crisis like this, where now it's, it's under pressure because it's all very well now putting temporary plans in place to help people remain in their jobs, help workers help people, it's going to be what happens now in the next two, three years uh, that's going to be relevant, uh, because the inequalities of our country are just going to grow now. Obviously, he never planned to be facing this. 
to turn to the uh, the Labour Party, then um, it's a week as we speak since or so since the um, report came out um, into anti-Semitism that's led to um, Jeremy Corbyn being suspended for his reaction um, and fair to say a substantial internal strife. Um, what's your take on where we are now with this? Is it getting healthier? I think it's. I think there's progress, definitely. I think. Um... Kistama has shown that he wants to lead by principle and, and root out anti-Semitism. Um, and I suppose, number one, his reaction to the report. The report itself was a vindication of many within the Jewish community, of the Jewish labour movement, which is the oldest affiliate. And uh, you know, 100 years ago, it, it was founded and it's been a long time affiliate of the Labour Party. So there was a vindication of many, many, many people across the Jewish community that there was a serious problem of anti-Semitism. That it wasn't political, that it wasn't only about factionalization, there was no witch hunt, there was a serious issue, and the leadership of the party had not dealt with it. We have there is a new leadership now in the Labour Party that it wants to deal with it. We still obviously have to give time for it to do that. Um, and I think many across the community would also say that he had no choice but to uh, suspend Jeremy Corbyn from the party. So yes, that will create conflict in the short term. But I think people will see within the Labour Party, it will become a choice as do they want to side uh, against anti-Semitism, uh, um, against intolerance of anti-Semitism, or with tolerance of anti-Semitism. And I, I suppose my hope is that people will make the right decision, because there are so many big issues in the country that the Labour Party as an opposition need to be working against now uh, um, and fighting to be the next government, really. Some of the um, voices on uh, a certain side of the party argue that, yes, there has been anti-Semitism, but it's not exclusively Labour. This is um, something that happens in lots of areas of society. And yes, we need to do more, but it's not exclusively Labour. Do you, do you think the characteristics of the anti-Semitism that's been seen within the party is actually a, um, a Labour problem as such? Yeah, I think anti-Semitism appears on different different sides of the political spectrum. So anti-Semitism certainly is not just a left-wing um, uh, phenomenon. We know that anti-Semitism occurs on the right. It exists within the Conservative Party, uh, exists in society. But it also occurs in the left, and it has a strain which is very akin to the left. The feeling that, in a sense, because of an obsession with class um, and class conflict, um, in a sense, the Jewish community doesn't fit within the usual traditional anti-racism of the left. Of course, the left will say, or the far left will say, yes, of course, we are against anti-Semitism. Of course, we're against anti-Semitism. Um, but... Um, often there will be a sense in which Jewish people are understood by some to be a malign force that is part of a sort of controlling force within global capitalism. Uh, um, now, not everyone will say that's what I believe, but it will come out. It will come out in tweets, it will come out in other elements of social media. And I think the uh, existence of Israel, which is really important to the Jewish community, uh, um, and across it, yes, there will be some within which it won't be, but for large swathes of the community, Israel is important. And anti-Zionism, which is incredibly aggressive, has also grown up as if to connect anything that Israel does, which could be criticised, with Jewish people all over the world. And that Jewish people almost, again, 
have a malign influence through that. Now, criticism of the government of Israel is important because it's a government. There are Jewish people and Israeli Jewish people that criticize their own government. I would criticize the government of Israel because I think there are many things it's doing that are not correct. Um, but that doesn't necessarily have to lead to a disproportionate and also a criticism which um, which also ends up being a, a something of a being against the existence of the state of Israel itself. Um, so yes, it, it, it lodges within the left and Jeremy Corbyn's past being against colonialism, against imperialism, put Israel on the wrong side of history. Um, and, and he didn't have the ability to show any regret for mistakes, proper regret, and build a proper relationship with uh, um, the Jewish community. And he didn't have the ability to suppress his own factionalization that would make this into a political issue rather than a real issue. The Aside from this particular aspect, what's your um, feelings about Keir Starmer? Is he a good person to lead Labour in this vital time? I think he's. I think he is a great opposition leader. I think you know, in terms of holding the government to account, he's a really. Uh, uh, he's good for the time. He's a person that that that, that you know is a serious leader, has principle. Um, of course, there, there are always going to be disagreements of policy here or policy there. I think he's taking his time. Now, anti-Semitism is you can't necessarily take time. You need to be clear, and he has. But he's taking his time to build his leadership, build the cabinet, the shadow cabinet. Um, and be a COVID leader. And I think that's I think what we need, COVID leadership. Yeah, I think we've seen a lot of leaders who we, you know, charisma is up front, but the but, uh, attachment to principle and content might not be so much. Uh, we've obviously seen that in America with Donald Trump, uh, someone who might be a bashful, you know, uh, not bashful is the wrong word, isn't it? Uh, a strong, robust leader, uh, um, aggressive often. Uh, um, people would say charismatic in the way, he, but, you know, again, what's the principle behind Keir Starmer has that with him. Um, he's got leadership. He can work together with others uh, um, as well as being strong. And I think that's a good combination that uh, um, I think would be good for the country and good for the West, actually. I think Bashful's one of the things you can't describe, Donald Trump. Oh, <laughs> Say that one out. <laughs> <laughs> we're, um, we're, we're recording a few, a couple of days before the US election. This will probably come out after it. In which case, do you want to make a, a grand prediction about how the election's going to go? Yeah, do you know what? It's hard, really hard. I think that, you know, we've seen a lot of the polls put Biden ahead, of course. Uh, uh, he's in ahead, ahead in three or four swing states uh, um, where he obviously needs to, uh, to, to win the election. Because of the nature of the electoral college, you just can't, you can't, you know, the percentages don't add up in the end. So there might be a swing to Trump, um, a fear of the left. You know, there might be the sense of, for some middle Americans, that fear of what a Biden, you know, sort of Obama-ish. It's interesting that Obama's come out quite a lot recently. And part of me felt I'm not sure how clever that was because he's almost a rod, a lightning rod for for, you know, reactionary uh, um, feeling against the Democrats. Uh, we'll see. Look, I do hope Biden wins. I, I don't know enough about Biden being the best for America too, I must say. Uh, um, but um, I think the world needs America to move beyond Donald Trump. So I'm not going to get a bold prediction, just a 
if it's like if if I, if I'm pushed, <laughs> I will go for a. Oh, I'll buy the win. I'll go for a, a narrow buy the win. But the worry I've got is that a narrow buy the win will lead Trump to try and challenge in certain places, and we'll have a we'll have another Al Gore. I think, well, he's already said he's got his lawyers are prepped and ready to come out, aren't they? So yeah, yeah. it's not going to end this week. No. Since I forced you into a prediction, I'm going to I'm going to predict a Biden win that's a bit more comfortable than we fear. I, I think he's going to do reasonably yeah. well by the colleges. Anyway, we'll see. Yeah. When you're not thinking about politics, American or English or um, anti-Semitism reports, how do you relax? What do you enjoy doing? Oh, and this lockdown's given lots of ways to do it. I mean, I, I like reading. Um, my problem is I like reading books on politics and, uh, and thought and stuff, which is it, it, for many would not be relaxing. I'm actually reading Left Out at the moment, which is a really good book on the Corbyn uh, leadership before um, the or up to the election. Um, I love that. I'm a big fan of Arsenal, so I used to love going to see Arsenal. Uh, I'm, uh, say I'm a Spurs fan, so I'll... apologies for any uh, Spurs fans in Harringay, of course, because Harringay is the, uh, the Tottenham borough. Um, but so I, I used to love going with my son to see Arsenal and obviously that you can't do as much but you enjoy watching it and one thing I've actually got really into is gardening we've got a smallish garden but my wife and I've done a lot of gardening and brought you know potatoes and tomatoes and flowers out there and I planted grass for the garden that we needed that and and also put lots of bird feeders out and brought nature in and that's been great for the family just very relaxing to turn around and look out into the garden and and just sort of feel a little comfort. So, um, yeah, it's important to relax, actually. Now, you need that space, and that's given me that. I think the gardening might be a bit of a trend, that you're the third podcast interviewee <laughs> after Arabella Weir and Juliet Stevenson were the last two, and both of them said the same thing. I've, they've delved into the garden, and they've also enjoyed sharing it with the kids or with the grandchildren on Zoom. And, oh, you my know. God. I know. I know. It's, and I've just I've loved going to, like... Wetland. There's a wolf. There's a place called Walthamstow Wetlands, just beyond mm -hmm. Harringay, I think. And um, I've loved it going to places like that. We were near Coldfall Wood, and I never really used to get much out of going. It was nice go with the kids every Saturday on the Sabbath day on Shabbat, which is our day of rest. You know, I would come back from synagogue. Now, obviously not, but we'll go in the afternoon. We go and walk to the woods, and it's just to see the change of the seasons and how it has developed and the toadstools and the bird it's been lovely been really good and we're lucky i mean especially in north london but in london generally you know it's a built up it's a um, dense city but we do have beautiful open spaces don't we and especially yeah. around that you know north london with Hampstead heath and with alexandra oh, palace and oh yeah it's amazing i know and it really you know it's really important and uh, one project i've been really involved in um as a rabbi actually is what we call eco synagogue which um, basically is a project to bring communities into a path of greater eco-awareness and eco-efficiency for their synagogue. So, you know, less waste, less plastic, efficient lighting, heating, etc. And so there's been a real good connection between that sense of the environment and also the personal connection to nature and bringing it into your life. Noticing bees in the garden, you know, I mean, bees are pests, right? But actually, they're really important. And so you actually get quite a lot of kick out of seeing bees around the flowers because they need that, you know, or it's, it's really interesting, really interesting what it's done. You seem fairly um, uh, relaxed and uh, content at the moment. Have you, have you found it stressful? Have you found that you've sometimes struggled with the last eight months? 
Yeah, yeah. I think, um, gosh, it's it's such a different time feeling that you have to go back to March and think what, you know. I think before lockdown was stressful, knowing that it was coming and wanting to ensure that your community was safe and well. Because, you know, we were at that time in mm. synagogue. There was no spacing. You know, everyone's elbowing each other by then. You know, it was that, that short elbow period, right, where everyone's elbowing each other. I mean, people sometimes do it now, but then we were. We weren't shaking hands. We weren't, you know, hugging, but elbowing, but we're together. And so that was that was stressful. And then I think coming out of lockdown in July, August, when we had to get the place ready, knowing that the big festivals were coming was really a lot of stress because it was just a lot of work, constant meetings. And it was taking me away from other stuff that I do, you know, I was thinking a lot more procedurally about policies and booking. Um, but I must say, I remember feeling very high at the beginning of lockdown when I got things online. I remember getting an older senior group. I mean, not older, this top of the hill, over 60s. They're not yeah. old seniors. Forgive me for saying that. <laughs> they, are, uh, and they needed a help to get online. And I did a lecture for them, got the head to get them online. And to see 30, 40 of them, I, I, I was so high after that. But then you come down from that, you know, you start doing it regularly. Okay, that's what you do. So it's quite a mix of emotions. I think I've taken a bit of holiday after the Jewish festivals. I took a few days last week and the week before. And so I feel, you know, I feel good. I feel I've taken a bit of a break. Um, I feel pleased with what I've done and what the community has done. We've really, we've done it good. We've, we've, you know, we are, people feel the community is there for them. So I feel positive about moving forward. So that's why I look relaxed, I suppose. <laughs> Well, that's great. I mean, it must be um, a lot of response. You must feel responsibility for your community, but also for individuals who you'll know the particular situations of, and then have to have the process issues on top of that. Um, it's it's good yeah. to hear you've dealt uh, dealt well with it. Yeah, and I think it was both a sense of responsibility early on for the health, but then interesting enough, it was a feeling of actually, you know what, we can do this safely. So, of course, people who are more vulnerable or older who don't want to come, don't come, you know, don't please, don't come. But just letting the community know that if you want to come back to your synagogue, it's not the same social type of thing as before. We could eat, usually we have what's called kiddush, which is a, a food, a sort of reception after the service on a Saturday morning. You can't do that. Can't have any food. Um, but, um, but you can still be safe in the synagogue. And I think that's the sort of message I was getting. It wasn't like a overly intimidating message you've got to be there it's safe but for those that want to you know it is safe um and that's obviously led up to now and now okay now we're part of a country there is a government you know we'll, we'll we'll get through it i think always with this sort of thing i think um you know family is important my wife i've got four kids they're really important you spend a lot more time with family you get to know them more that's good you get quality time walks we've taken together that's been really nourishing and really important and for everyone i think um one thing i'd say that's really important uh, um is also the importance i think of talking about what we feel about I, I could see that there will be low feeling about going back into lockdown adding to the sense of vulnerability people have had over the last six seven eight months i think now you know, there will be people who will be very depressed but but for all of us we're all going to feel it a bit and i think the importance will be to find the avenues to talk about what we feel. I think that's something society needs to do now, is to be able to talk to friends, spouses, children, whatever it is, um, to allow us to express our feelings. Well, I think we can all share that message. So uh, thank you very much, Rabbi David Mason, for joining us on the Hamnai podcast. 
Thank you. It's been really, really great, really helpful as well. Thank you. So thank you so much to David for joining us on the podcast. As ever, don't forget to listen back to previous guests who have included Esther Ranson, Michelle Collins, Arabella Weir, Shazia Mirza. And don't forget to like and subscribe. We'll be back next week.